Hello and welcome to Web of Resonance. I'm Teresa Carmody from Elemental Journeys. And I'm Ken Edwards, the Rune Walker. And uh, thank you for drumming, by the way. You're very welcome. We've done something a little different this week. And um, we decided to, because we, you know, like to fuck things up a little bit. And yep. what we decided to do was we weren't going to pull our tarot card for Teresa and Arun for myself until right now. And then we're going to take those divination tools and sense out the vibrations on the web and uh, see where we're at. Are you so ready? Can you talk a little bit about uh, why we chose to do that so energetically people kind of know uh, why we made the shift or do you just want to do it? No, just go ahead. Have at it because I will be honest, I don't really remember why we decided to do that. Oh, well, I think part of it is that we're both creative folks and we don't like to get stuck in ruts. So yes. I think that's part of it. Um, for me, the other part of it was, uh, and we talked about this, we really, uh, we noticed that there was a theme, uh, not just the resonance that was happening in each episode, but we were really starting to see a theme that was happening through episodes. And so on the one hand, I think we wanted to challenge ourselves a little bit more and see, well, if we don't sit with our divination tool for a whole week, is that uh, is that energy that's moving through each episode still there? Um, or are we perhaps projecting too much when we're pulling our divination tools that uh, we are overly influencing what we're getting? To me, I'm just saying that because I think that, that, you know, there's an idea that when you've been doing this for a while, you really know how your tool works and you use it always the same way. And to me, that's what I love about the cards is that... Um, I've been using the cards for over 15 years now, and I still can come up with new ways to use them. And uh, sometimes it's a bust, but sometimes it's really surprising in really great, wonderful ways. Yeah, absolutely. I do think one of the things that I was wondering about with pulling the rune and sitting with it for the week is really, am I only paying attention to those energies and what other energies are happening around me that I might not be paying attention to because I'm only focused on Ingvas. Yeah, they're a self-fulfilling prophecy. Those things are real. And, uh, you know, if you're pulling a particularly challenging rune or I'm pulling a particularly challenging card, we've kind of set ourselves up to really be focused on uh, the challenges of our week, which, it, you know, is neither good or bad. It just, it, it, like you said, it creates some blind spots. There was a card in an, another deck. I pulled it and uh, so, sometimes it's a good reminder card that sometimes I focus too much on the other world or the other, mm, the energy out there instead of like the physical things that I have to do and take care of during the day here in my physical life. And, you know, I, yesterday I took the time and changed all the light bulbs in my uh, on my car because <laughs> I had been neglecting that. And it was so, I think I actually pulled it last week, but it, that card was really, uh, you know, appropriate because even with pulling my rune, if I would have pulled my rune last week, my head would have been centered around that and not necessarily around the physical things that need to happen in my life, but also the 
connection between the physical and those more esoteric uh, energetic things. And uh, I, I'm kind of excited to see where uh, once I pull my rune out of my bag, what happens is who, I, I don't know. I mean, I saw three badgers yesterday, which I've only seen four badgers in my whole entire life here. And wow. I've never seen them uh, just the two times in my life here. And uh, I thought, well, gosh, I wonder, you know, like it's those little things that happen that sometimes get overlooked when I'm looking, when I'm personally looking at the bigger picture. Well, that's interesting that you're saying that because I'm thinking of, um, you know, three badgers who crossed my road. I probably would have gone on like uh, I have this website, uh, animalspirits.com that I absolutely love. I would have gone on there and I would have looked up badger. However, if I had already pulled a card, I would already I would see that I would already interpret that event as having some kind of synchronicity to the card I already pulled. So it is interesting. Um, you know, I don't think one perspective is better than another. I just think uh, to me, it's interesting that you're going to get a different perspective based on how you use the tools. Yeah. Um, which I think is, I think that's really the heart of why we've decided to change it up uh, is because I think you and I are fairly similar in that as creative people, um, we get, uh, we get stale when it, when things get stale or too stagnant. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Shake it up. Let's shake it up. All right. You ready? You're going to shake up your bag. I'm going to uh, shuffle my cards here. Shaking the bag. Shuffling the cards. All right. Let's see. Which card is the card for today? Oh. Hmm. Ooh. Ooh, what'd you get? I got the Queen of Wands. What is the Queen of Wands about? Well, the Queen of Wands, uh, in terms of the suit cards, like I have a card that I resonate with uh, in the Major Arcana, but in the Minor Arcana, this is actually my card. Um, So uh, I am, my element is, my home element is fire. And the Queen of Wands is all about, um, uh, you know, keep in mind, uh, and I'm working on this, but keep in mind that the tarot tr- traditionally uh, really handles uh, masculine and feminine energies as a binary. And so the queen and the king, because of societal values, the king has been above the queen. I think that's changed a little bit. Like, I don't feel that in the cards. I just feel it as kind of the mature masculine and the mature feminine. But even that doesn't hold up. And uh, I'm saying that because... I have not quite yet made the transition to, um, to looking at these cards without some of that still influencing me. Mm -hmm. So the queen of wands to me, it's, uh, the king and the queen are the most mature expressions or embodiments of the element of fire. And because it's the queen, it's the most, uh, mature feminine form. So, you know, fire can be very destructive. It can also be the hearth fire that, that warms everything. 
I think that in uh, traditional cultures, like in more ancient Ireland, you know, the woman would get up and she would tend the peat fire and start the flames for the morning and cooking breakfast. And at night, she would be the one who would kind of tuck the flames in and create, create embers so that the house stayed warm. So she was the fire tender. So it was, you know, it's all about uh, tending the home. The hearth fires burning uh, is not just literal, but it's also figurative in that, um, you know, it's about that welcoming of those who have been gone for a while and having a warm embrace when you return home. There's also uh, in Irish culture, the idea of hospitality, and that's actually kind of a spiritual practice to welcome strangers into your home and to give them food and shelter for a night or however long they stay. And so the Queen of Wands is that kind of fire. It's the very nurturing kind of thing. It's the warming of the seed in the ground so that the seed breaks open and starts to form roots. Um, it's love. Uh, some of the more, just to give you kind of a contrary uh, some of the more masculine are usually like fire can be more like uh, a flame torch. So you're going to build something with it and it needs to be very focused and precise, but also very, very hot to melt metal. Um, the thing that I don't like why I'm saying I, that I haven't quite made the transition to non-binary is um, that every time I try to describe fire in terms of its masculine and feminine, I get tripped up uh, because the feminine can be as protective, as destructive, as laser focused, as diffuse as the masculine. Um, and I really think we're moving away from that. So I'm not sure how to reconcile that with my card yet. So what did you pull? Can I, uh, can before I tell you guys and you, Sharisa, what I pulled, I I totally fucking forgot I had an update for you. Oh, and okay. Give us so, the update. Okay. Keep so, us in suspense, Ken. I know. I was like, <laughs> I, I'm sitting here and I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm like, there was something I was supposed to bring up and I kind of forgot. And you, oh, yes. So I, uh, I have a gentleman that I go to... Uh, who's not part of my community, who's not part of my life at all, except for doing readings for me. And I felt um, last week super struggling. I felt like I was struggling a lot and I needed some clarity. So I ended up, uh, luckily he had a, an appointment available on the 4th of July. And so uh, we did a reading by phone and I'm speaking to him and um he he pulls a uh, a card like we did a general reading and everything everything he said was right on with what's happening and everything that you guys have heard over the past six episodes um and then he pulls a card that is the card the archetypal card that i should embody moving forward Teresa, do you have any guesses about what that was if it was the lover's card i'm gonna faint dead away it was the lover's card oh my god <laughs> i love that i Apparently i didn't faint dead away but man. no i had to stop him and i said i have to stop you right now and i have to tell you why 
why I laughed out loud like a hyena. And, he, <laughs> you know, and I explained to him what, it, you know, this situation. And he's like, he's like, that's interesting. That's super interesting. Um, so, you know, it kind of just a little update on that, um, which is hilarious. And I thought was a super appropriate. And uh, by the way, it also kind of plays into the rune I pulled today. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Great. Yeah. I love a good segue like that. So, okay. So the rune I reached in and pulled just a few minutes ago was the rune Dagaz. The rune Dagaz uh, reminds me of the shape of a bow tie. So it's two triangles uh, facing each other so that they look like a bow tie. Dagaz is a rune of primarily for me uh, is a rune of transformation. Uh, well, in the Anglo-Saxon Futhork, uh, it represents a uh, day. So it's the, the time and the balance between day and night. I also see it as a, the balance between day and night, light and dark, transformation, the balance of uh, becoming nothing in the very center of the rune to then moving through that uh, into one side or the other to then become something and then you move back. It's almost like the infinity symbol where you're constantly moving around this cycle, this figure eight, and in the very center, you're nothing. And you, as you move around each of the sides, you learn, you grow, you, you know, accomplish, and then you move back to the center where you're nothing so that you can then become something else again. As you're saying that, I'm thinking that's a very similar story to when you walk the labyrinth. Uh, except that the labyrinth is a different shape, of course. And so there's a lot of focus on moving into the internal darkness and stillness and then coming back out to the light. Um, since it is kind of that bow tie like that, is there any meaning given to, so if I'm traveling it like a figure eight, when I'm moving the cycle of the left hand part of the bow tie, is that a different developmental process than if I'm, uh, walking on the right side? You know, not necessarily uh, in okay. anything that I've experienced or that okay. I've read, but I did um, and I have seen and I've challenged some of my students to look at it as actually the um, the wheel of the year. Yeah. You could, you could use it in those terms, although um, I've never specifically heard of it that way. But like yeah. I said, I have challenged my students to think about using it in those terms. And in those terms, it does make similar sense. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It's, a, you know, this rune is also a, a, a rune that can be about um, the, the balance of the moon and the sun. It can be a rune of astral journeying because I've been able, well, this is probably a lot of UPG. But I've also had other people experience it this way, but focusing on the very center for a point to journey to other places. I've seen it as, this is probably going to be very hard to explain, uh, but if I was looking at a, a square piece of, a square um, like piece of wire. So I, we just make it into a square and you, or a rectangle, sorry, a rectangle. If you hold those pieces, the ends that are the shorter ends, and you twist, you pushing the left side out and the right side toward you, and it forms that shape of a bow tie. Yes, I'm with you. 
Right. So right in the center, all of the center comes together. Um, That was an interesting visual that was shown to me when I was teaching class about a way to journey with it is you thinking about I'm on, if it were actually a plane, I'm on one side, I'm on the underside. The place I want to go is on the top. And if I twist those together, I bring everything to me in the center and I don't have to go anywhere. I love that you just said that. You just described uh, so beautifully the difference between um, the shamanic journeying that I originally learned when I started doing it and uh, Celtic shamanism. So when I first learned, I learned from a woman who she was a Hungarian shaman and she taught uh, a similar way to I've been to other circles that are more Native American and Uh, In all of those uh, different experiences, it's always been you use the drum to kind of leave the middle world and go travel to other worlds. And in most of those traditions, including Celtic shamanism, there's only really three worlds, kind of the upper world, whatever you call it, the middle world and the lower world. In Celtic shamanism, it's land, sea and sky. Um, however, when I started really wanting to root my shamanic practice into my own heritage, uh, one of the things that really struck me is in Celtic shamanism, you don't actually leave your body at all. What you do is you sit still and it's like, uh, to me, it's a little bit like a kaleidoscope. Um, you alter your state of consciousness so that the world that you are going to step into kind of opens up in front of you you don't travel to it it it, something shifts so that you have access to it yeah does that make sense yeah and so i love that you just said that because it's it's a very similar um i think there's probably a deeper wisdom in there somewhere which is that we don't actually have to go anywhere to experience everywhere. Uh, Absolutely. And um, I I tell people this all the time when we're, when I'm leading meditation or when I'm in class, your your body is made up of chemicals and those chemicals react to energy. So you can, I feel that you can experience the, of those, the journey in the other world better if you're in your body, because you actually have those things inside the chemicals and the, all that stuff, the adrenaline, those things that amplify the energy. So you actually get a better read off of being there than if you were to have gone there just in spirit and tried to bring back what that knowledge was or what that information was. Do you think that's different for different people, Ken? Like, do Um, you think that that's true for you? Because for me, what I experience with you about your intuitive gifts is that your body is your pendulum. Yeah, I I absolutely think that it's going to be different uh, for everybody. I think for me, I try to bring people back into their body a lot. Yeah. as a, a, a reference point. Um, and what is the wisdom that you find in your body uh, that you're wanting to share with people? The wisdom that I feel like I have 
um, learned or remembered is that we're here in this physical body to experience things that we can't without it. And the need or the desire or the want to escape that body, I get uh, everyone's story is different. Everybody wants to escape for a reason. And I feel like we don't honor the choice to be in this body or the, the reality that even if you didn't choose it, if that's not your belief system, that you are in it, uh, we don't honor that by wanting to be out of it all the time. I feel like incorporating the spirit and the physical and allowing those to run together um, is that unification of that balance of like with Dagas, it's the balance of light and dark. It's the balance of day and night. It's the balance of with Avas, we've talked about the balance of life and death. It's, it's bringing those two things, which we've separated, we've separated spirituality and physicality, right? They, the seven deadly sins, most of them have to deal with the physical body. Um, and um, sex, overeating, uh, drugs, alcohol, all of those things that bring uh, experience in the physical body. And some of those things like, um, uh, oh shit, I knew I was going to forget it. Uh, MDT? No. DMT? Yeah. Is it DMT? Are you talking about uh, the stuff for trauma, like the EMDR? Uh, no, this is a, um, it's a drug that you can, well, maybe. Oh, yes. You're talking about what's in ayahuasca. Yeah. Like, and they, they have it now that will only like, you're basically 15 seconds in it and then it's out of your system and you're done. And yeah. And it, it, the people who've experienced it experience zero disconnection between body and spirit and the chair. And like, it's this sense of oneness. And, um, uh, for those of you who listening, who may know what the proper terminology is, please just let us know because I can't quite remember, but there's, there's this beautiful marriage that can happen between physical body and, and spiritual experience and physical experience that, we neglect because we've been told sex is wrong. Uh, eating is wrong. Don't enjoy what you eat. Um, alcohol is wrong. Um, experiencing, you know, adrenaline rush from hunting or experiencing adrenaline rush from, uh, you know, running or interacting with the physical environment that, that we're in. All of these things are divine, are part of divinity not just the things that we've excluded and put up on the spiritual shelf. Did I answer your question? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> my, my mind is making so many associations. So um, there's a part of me that I'm thinking about a couple episodes ago when we were talking about being wild and I often will experience my body as my wild nature to me, it's made up of the earth. Um, it has a lot of the same instincts and impulses that I see in wild nature. Um, it can do things that I sometimes will go, what are you doing? <laughs> um, yeah. 
and then I'm shifting and I'm thinking about sexuality and man, we really need to talk more about that because that is so potent with uh, a lot of what you're saying in terms of, uh, you know, I think some people experience sex purely physically and, uh, and so do not uh appreciate or have not experienced the spiritual or energetic components of that and because it's physical then i think it's also the thing that you know just as you're saying of the seven deadly sins most of them are about physical activity um i'm also thinking about how we tend to dismiss or disparage uh physical pleasure mm-hmm. whether it's sexual or not Um, I'm, I'm thinking that maybe Freud contributed to that, uh, when he decided that our psyche was made up of the id, the ego and the super ego, you know, the id is based on the pleasure principle and it is often described as very immature and childlike and something that has to be trained in school to be more appropriate, which often is about delaying gratification, which is not always a bad thing, (laughs) but Unfortunately, I think part of what comes with that is, you know, that um, that uh, more principle of the work ethic, that that has more value than play. Um, and I don't think there's anything uh, aside from abuse or harm that is more deadly to the human spirit than to be all work and no play. Yes. So where is our meeting point uh, between the Queen of Wands and Dagas? Oh. You know where I think it is? Give it to me. I think it's in sexuality. Oh, oh a wand. Just kidding. Yep. <laughs> oh, you actually have a woman with a wand. You have a woman with a wand. She's and fiery. I, uh, it's usually about sensuality. Yeah. Um, it is. It, it's love. Whereas the king of fire it tends to be uh, more in the protective or the uh, creative meaning, like building. Like I always get the image of a blowtorch. Um, the the queen of wands is often more sensual more embracing more loving it's not the burning element of fire it's the warming element of fire yeah um and that fire embodied to me is it's creation but it's very specific creation it's very sexual and sensual yeah yeah it's um the, you know, look, look at the shape of Dagas with the bow tie. It's two complete things coming together. And the delicate balance that is, is transformation and is that we are both and nothing all at the same time. Yes. Uh, you are the fire and you are what's being consumed by the fire all at the same time. Um, and really about the, the, that balance of, of the oneness and nurturing that within uh, within yourself and and bringing that wow that's interesting so remember uh, when the light worker said to me you know you don't have to um, always destroy things with your fire 
you can nurture things with your fire. And I was like, first of all, you're crazy, but um, it is a, <laughs> just like, you're, I, I just, I, I don't, I don't see myself as going around burning the fucking town down. Um, it just isn't, that's not how I see my fire. And um, it's really interesting because that, that when she said the nurturing part of it, um, that just came back to me now within that she was talking about doing things with other people, like nurturing other people's stuff instead of nurturing myself with that fire. But I think that's really interesting because I see that in both of these. Is nurturing? Yeah. I think in nurturing in the concept of understanding that you are the whole, so you can nurture yourself. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense because uh, just before we connected this morning, I was um, I was thinking a little bit about our talk last week, and I was thinking about when you were talking about readings and being receptive, um, and that uh, you know I think at one point you were saying, yeah, it's really hard to read for yourself, and I just kind of the thought occurred to me. I wonder why that's true. Like, why should, because I have the same experience. So it's so much easier for me to read for someone else than it is for me to read for myself. Absolutely. And I think we had, we had kind of decided last week it was because it's hard to be both the person having the experience and the person stepping outside to look at the experience. Um, but this morning when that question came to me again, because I thought we had already answered it, uh, I started seeing images of, I used to love the show Charmed. Do you remember oh, Charmed? I love Charmed, and I will admit that I've watched the first season of the new reinvented Charmed, and I do like that one too. Oh, do you? Okay, I haven't seen the new one because I was so in love with the old one, I didn't want to be annoyed. I resisted, um, I resisted it until I got sick, and then I binge-watched it, and they did a... <laughs> They did a very good job and I kind of like it. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing that I remember really running through that show that I don't think was just about that. Like, I don't think I, I was uh, influenced primarily by the show. I think the show was actually speaking something that kind of exists in the magical world, which is uh, they had a value that you never practice magic for yourself or for your own benefit. Do you remember that? Yep. Um, and so there was a part of me that I started really wondering, well, where did that come from? And, uh, probably over the last few months for sure. So like many people, the last eight months have been pretty rocky, whatever has been happening in the larger context. Um, it, you know, I think I've spoken to you like the last six to eight months for me is like somebody shaking a constant rattle and just dispersing anything I try to bring together just flies apart. Um, my whole life kind of cracked open and had to be reorganized. Um, and so, so it's been a little bit disorienting. Yeah. And one of the things that's come out of that for me is really this challenge of 
why am I not using all of the resources at my disposal, not just for other people's benefit, but to create the life that I want to be living? Yeah. And what I noticed was there really is some value that I had that, I mean, thankfully that rattle was shaking because what got unearthed is somewhere deep in my psyche, I had this idea that if I use my own gift for myself, I'm in some way cheating. <laughs> I don't know who I'm cheating, but you know, it's kind of like, oh, you're at a, you're at an unfair advantage. You shouldn't be doing that. You know, I think that there, there probably is something because I see it in that show. I heard it, you know, about last week about you talking about it's difficult to receive. I noticed that about myself about kind of discounting my own resources as like I shouldn't use them for my own life. Yep. It's a it's a really interesting thing because we think that if we are ta- if we are benefiting then we're actually taking from someone else. And I thought that was interesting because I teach it from a space of and do readings from a space of your your abundance is not going to hurt anybody. In fact, the more abundant you are that it spills over and you're not taking from anyone. But I wonder where in myself or where in my history that that became part of my makeup to where I thought, oh my God, if I'm benefiting, then someone it's taking from someone else's benefit. And I'm not quite sure where that came from, but that was something that resonated in me as keeping me from my abundance and keeping yeah. me from that, even that feeling of abundance was, well, if I'm, if I'm growing, then someone else must not be, but that's not, that's not the case. Yeah. Uh, well, you're saying that the thing that keeps popping in my head is it comes from our ancestors. And for me, I can identify it even in my dad. Um, so I don't have to reach very far back <laughs> before I can identify that. You right. know, my dad was very much, um, he, he lived in a world of competition And part of that was growing up and playing sports. I think sports socialized him quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And um, so for him, there was always, for me to win, somebody has to lose. Yeah. And there was such such an emphasis on the importance of winning that in my experience, in my relationship with my dad, he had no problem crushing me in order to win. Uh, which caused all kinds of problems, of course. Um, But, um, but I have this like contrary, I have this uh, tug of war going on inside me about uh, what you're saying about abundance and resources. uh, Because I think we are trying to move out of a competitive mind frame, which I think is a very good thing, because I don't think it's true that if I win, somebody else has to lose. As a matter of fact, I feel much more a sense of winning when uh, everyone around me is uh, as cheered or in or enjoys uh, the thing that I'm enjoying as well. Yeah. Uh, to me, celebration best happens in company. So 
so I think that on the one hand, there's a part of me that says, uh, yeah, I like the idea of having that abundant, uh, energetic with me, because as soon as I accept that, then I stop stressing out about not having enough. I stop stressing out about if I'm doing well, thinking about who might not be doing well. Uh, although I like to share my doing well, so I guess I'm sort of thinking about others who don't have it quite the same. Um, but then there's the opposite perspective where one, I think one of the problems that we're having in our environmental situation is that some of the energetic uh, principles of abundance have been applied to our physical world. Um, and I am concerned about a few things. I'm concerned that we do actually live on a finite planet. It is always evolving and growing and changing. And yet there are very physical boundaries to it. So that we are endangering some of the natural resources because we are not recognizing the limitations of physicality. Mm -hmm. um, although even that idea was challenged the other day by a friend of mine, uh, you know, I was talking about this and I said, I think a really number one environmental issue is overpopulation. And if we solve that problem, uh, everything else would be greatly enhanced. And she said to me, I'm not sure it's that we're really overpopulated. It's that we have an inequity in how we distribute resources. Hmm. Wow. And I mentioned both those things uh, because I do think that um, it is actually kind of important to think about some kind of finite principle when we're talking about physicality. Well, uh, that is absolutely <laughs> one thing that we do not embrace is the concept that there, there is a lifespan to everything. We as humans try and push that further and further, which then, I'll, you know, we go back to uh, uh, OT law, which I think we talked about a few episodes ago, is um, there's a concept of our bodies go into the ground, decompose, come back up to help uh, feed the grass, feed the animals. So it's, it's that complete lack of acknowledging our part in it is something that keeps us super disconnected. And that's yeah. a very cultural thing right now. It keeps us disconnected from understanding that there there is only a finite number of you know, uh, molecules and a finite number of, uh, atoms that are, that make up our enclosed system. That is not, uh, you know, we can't bring water in from another planet at the moment and we can't bring more trees in from another planet because we've killed them all. We can't bring new species in to help, you know, propagate, you know, new environments, but, or to help keep the environments we have, we, we are completely disconnected from that. Yeah. Within Dagas, there's also this space of, you know, can you go to the very center, to the very center of these two triangles, and can you sit 
in stillness and silence. We don't sit still long enough. We don't sit down. Um, in fact, meditation is now, uh, I think a lot of people see it as guided journeys instead of meditating. Yes. We don't sit still enough because if we did, we would be in our body. We would feel our pain. We would feel our uneasiness. We would feel our discomfort. I think that's some of the the wisdom that Dagaz has is being able, Dagaz is an, a, an amazing room to sit with and understand your place um, and understand that there's time to be still and there's time for movement. Yeah. Part of the wisdom of Dagaz is being able to sit still and be nothing and allow for some of these mm, probably very natural laws to kind of infiltrate to allow you to remember these things to allow you to remember that you only have a finite number of days in this body and to pull you back into enjoying and then savoring each and every moment, whether that's pain, whether that's joy, whether that's sex, whether that's uh, eating, whether that's, you know, all of these things that we don't sit still enough to embrace and enjoy or experience, not enjoy, but experience. Do you think that uh, we're not experiencing them or do you think we're not mindful of our own experience? I kind of think both. Um, And I think that it happens differently for other people. Um, For everyone, it happens differently. I think that we're not super mindful, uh, one. Um, I think we've gotten to a point where... uh, Parents cannot teach their children what these experiences are because they missed them themselves. Okay. Um, So like um, I can't identify your anxiety about, no, uh, your uncomfortableness about being in front of new kids because you now are just going to be uncomfortable for a little bit while you get to know each other. Now is maybe turned into anxiety Uh, Not that it's not anxiety, but we tend to put, I think, anxiety label on it and then give it a medication instead of understanding that sometimes it's really just working through the emotions of it. Does that make sense? So we're not, we're not sitting, we're not um, even able to, well, if you go into your gut and gut is not just about survival, we've talked about that, but that's what we talk about it. You know, trust your gut so that you can not have you won't get uh, hurt by somebody or, or you can sense when danger's near. Most of us don't know what that's like. So we, we almost need a whole class about uh, what are these things that are happening in your body? What does this rush of adrenaline mean? What does this mean? What does that mean? Because we're so uncomfortable with it that we don't know. Then if we add on top of that, that everyone wants to be, psychic and empathic it seems like you add a whole other there's one other person in the room you're adding the energetic of them onto your body and we've talked about this there's the third which is the combination of your two energies then that is like you're bombarded with energies that you don't understand and of course that makes us feel anxious but we don't take the time to figure them out and we don't take the time to 
maybe even ask or work out what those things are. And sometimes the people that we ask don't even know if, because they haven't experienced it themselves. So to go back to your question, I think it's both. I think we do have a lack of mindfulness about it, but then I think there is a lack of experiencing those things because we actually don't even know what the experience is. Ah, okay. So <clears throat> as you're talking, um, I'm following you and it's taking me back to this weekend. So this weekend, you know, I did that event. Oh yes. And, yes, yes. and uh, it went very well. And uh, at the end of it, uh, at the end of the night, I came home and it was very late. Um, and I was just kind of trying to transition back to, you know, the home me and letting go of my day and, you know, processing through the information and letting it go to be able to rest. And I could not sleep. Um, a part of what happened was there was so much energy that I picked up on that um, when I got home, it was like, um, it was like I had eaten five pizzas, two chickens, I mean, you know, and an insane <laughs> amount of food and could not digest it all. Yeah. And, and I was also aware because the whole intent of the event was for me to channel. So I was very aware that the majority of the energy that I was trying to process was not mine. And, um, and I'll tell you what I chose to do. What finally worked for me, you know, I shook a rattle around myself. I took a shower. All those <laughs> things typically help uh, for a normal day. Uh, but I, this was more energy than even those tools could work on. And yeah. so I was starting to feel really exhausted and my mind was racing. I couldn't sleep. And what I decided to do was I spoke to my unconscious and I asked it to open up a void space and to allow all this energy to go into it. And that, uh, I would, because it was with me and because I actually was learning a lot from processing what I could process, I was like, I want you to marinate and I want you to hold on to it and just deliver me different pieces when I'm ready. And that which I've attracted to myself that has no useful purpose for me, uh, just digest unconsciously and release. Now, I'm not going to experience the stuff that, uh, or at least I'm not going to experience it consciously the stuff that gets digested and released that never comes back into my conscious mind. And yet as you're speaking and you're saying, we don't experience it. There's a part of me that's like, yes, I completely understand. I see people all the time. So distracted by their lives and the, you know, what do I need to get to next kind of thing that they forget their breathing, that they're not, they're fairly dissociated. Um, and yet, um, in the experience that I'm having, I'm asking, well, am I really not experiencing it if my unconscious is experiencing it? Ooh. Yeah. And what happens, um, you know, one of the things that came up in the event is discussion about the conscious and unconscious 
And, you know, it kind of emerged that uh, like the unconscious is something we have to dig up stuff and know about. And it hit me that, you know, when's the last time I thought about my heartbeat? Yeah. And even when I have thought about my heartbeat, I'm not going, okay, heartbeat now, beat now, beat now, right? I'm not doing that. And no. if I were, there would be no part of my consciousness left to live my life. No. Um, so there are some things that the unconscious really does for us that is not problematic for us to figure out or try to dig up that there are actually functions that are best left to the unconscious and we can be grateful that the unconscious man manages them. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, you know, as you're speaking, I wonder what embodiment would look like or feel more importantly, feel like, uh, what would embodiment feel like, uh, when there is also an awareness that there are certain experiences that the unconscious processes for us, like how would we feel that in our bodies? That's interesting because it's another one of those things that we separate from ourselves. Yeah. Our unconscious is separate. Our We talk about it like it's a foreign entity or something, something that comes along and bites us in the ass every now and again right yeah no that's yeah that's true that's really interesting because if you were to what would it feel like if we were to embody or ex allow ourselves because it's already there allow yeah. ourselves to experience the the wisdom of the unconscious or do or, or do we we ignore it and we it, it create it gives us you know like uh it's that concept of um, tell me the truth, tell me the truth. But then when you're told the truth, you don't believe it. Yeah. Uh, so talk to me, talk to me, but no, don't talk to me anymore. Cause I don't believe you. Do we, do we just not have the language or, or do we completely understand the language? And yet it's so contrary to the programming or to the, the societal buildup that we have that, it gets completely shut down and shut off so quickly. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm also thinking it, uh, the unconscious is in our body because it does beat our heart. For the most part, it breathes for us. It di digests your food, right? It di yeah, we don't tell the body to do any of those things. Um, and yet, you know, when we leave the body or the body leaves us or there's a parting of the ways, however you want to say, when we die, um, you know, it's not like only my consciousness is dying. My body also loses its unconsciousness, too. Yeah. And so it's got to be, I mean, wherever else it might exist, it also exists within our bodies. Hmm. So we've talked about in the past, you know, our ways of knowing, whether it be your heart space or your, your gut or your you know, intellect. So I was going to say, do we have to add a fourth, but it almost feels like there's an integrated part of the intellect the emotion and the instinct that are all unconscious. So 
it feels like each of those spaces, a lot, you know, a lot of times I see we neglect the instinct, but we're not only neglecting our instinct, we neglect our instinct and the unconscious instinct. So what part of our emotions we're, we're conscious of, but are we aware of the unconscious part of our emotions? And the same thing with our, with our mental capacity, with our intellect. Um, that's really complex. That's very Teresa right there. That's a complexity. What, <laughs> what do you, what is it you deal with uh, systems? Yeah. Systems theory, which is, the, which is all, I mean, it's exactly what you were talking about when you were talking about like empathic energies. So I always describe systems theory in the most simple form to communicate it, it can be described as the equation one plus one equals three, which is the idea that uh, just you and I can right now in our conversation, there's my point of view, my energy, my being, there's you can as a separate being. And then there's the relationship that we build that doesn't have a body of its own, but it is its own entity. And anybody who's in relationship knows this, that uh, when you're in relationship, the relationship itself starts to develop its own character. You develop yeah. your own habits with your partner that are kind of, um, you know, particular to who the two of you are. Uh, when I was a marriage therapist, that was because I'm systems trained, that was the client that was really identified was I am focused on what is the character and nature of the relationship? How does it um, both be created by the individuals and feed the individuals? And where does it deplete the individuals? So that for me, I was, I was focused on the relationship as actually being something that could give me information about the individuals that maybe they weren't already sharing, or maybe they weren't even aware of. Yeah. And so, yeah, things do get pretty, I mean, if one plus one equals three, um, I will just say, so one plus one plus one actually equals seven. So when you're talking about systems theory, things get really complex really fast and adding just one more individual uh, can exponentially complicate the energetic patterns and the connections that are possible. As long as I don't have to go to the bartender, order two beers and have to pay for three, I totally, <laughs> I'm down with system theory. Like I'm fine. <laughs> That's good. Well, you do usually tip, don't you, Ken? <laughs> but yes, I do. Yes, I do. Because I would still love to be served later. So yes, you continue to yes. tip. Yeah. Well, I've had a good time. So have I. Yeah, I, I, think was, I hope our listeners had a good time. <laughs> they had a great time. Great. They had a great time. I know they did. And they'll let us know. Yes, they will. So, um, anything else before we go? I don't think so. Wrapping up our meandering walk with uh, Will Wishes again for a good week. And yep. please be in touch. And uh, yeah, this has been fun, Ken. Yeah. Thank you very much for our conversation and uh, you guys have a great week. Have a great week. <laughs>